With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. not just be me chatting at you for an hour and you will get an equal audio payoff for those of you who are used to the rich sonorous quality of uh, John's voice. I am delighted to be joined today by Modesto Nuts broadcaster and for my money the best broadcaster in the California League and maybe all of minor league baseball, Keaton Glogoli. Keaton. How are we doing? Thank you. You're uh, you're too kind. <laughs> Not at all. Keaton, your name is an interesting name, um, globally. I sometimes like to say it to myself, globally. It's fun to say. Um, is Has it ever held you back having kind of a unique name, or is it part of your Twitter handle, of course, is at globally. Um, and I'm saying that right, right? Globally. Yeah, you're right no, on top of it. It's just an excuse for me to say it again. Um <laughs> Has that been kind of part of, how, how have you transformed having maybe a name that's a little more unique into really part of your brand? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't really thought about it. It's just been kind of my name. Uh, I, I've had I've had one or two people maybe suggest to change it, but I didn't really like where they were coming from when they made that suggestion, and I didn't really <laughs> think about it much. Uh, the one thing I do uh, is uh, write as Keaton Corey with a C, uh, so anything I've had published since college I have is Keaton Corey, um, and that's for my grandfather who was uh, uh, an executive producer at ABC World News for a long time. He's now retired. Uh, he had four daughters, including my mother, um, and so there's no 
there's no Corey moving forward in that bloodline. So as somebody oh. who is a writer and who has worked in television, uh, anytime I've had anything published since about 2009 or 2010 has been published as Keaton Corey. That's a nice way to pay, uh, to pay homage to the grandfather. Um, what kind of a name is globally? Uh, Irish. Yeah. We're, we're primarily Irish on my father's side. And you are from, so let's get into a little bit, because before we get into the team stuff, I think for um, people we have who are listening who might be aspiring broadcasters, uh, who would like to maybe follow in your line of work in some way, uh, let's talk a little bit about like um, your background and how you got to where you are today. And also, you know, a lot of times little kids, they dream of being on the field, maybe not the people who are reporting on what's happening on the field. But that is a little bit different for you, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, I got into broadcasting while I was in college. Uh, I was playing. I was a baseball player and an athlete uh, throughout my high school time. And uh, What did once, you play? What, uh, what was your position? I started as a catcher as soon as catching was a thing. And then at my sophomore year of high school, I made varsity as the backup catcher. And then I transitioned to first base as a junior to get a starting role. Uh, my arm was terrible. I had the <laughs> yips. Those are a very real thing. I t even took out a light in the of the uh, scoreboard in the high school gym where we'd have to practice at. I'm from Chicago. So it was very cold when we started practice. And I took a light out on the new scoreboard, which the athletic director wasn't happy about. But that's why I moved to first base. And that's where I played my final two years um, as a player in high school before I went to college. Uh, and then it was in college, I had an idea of a few different things that I wanted to study. I, I tried to go into all of them and take classes in them as a freshman. I didn't really like any of them. So I uh, kind of reset and tried to decide what I wanted to study and, and train myself to do for the rest of my life. As, and that kind of hit me as a sophomore. So I remember the moment I, I made the decision to go into this. Uh, it was in the, my human resource management class in the first semester of my sophomore year I showed up to class late so I didn't get a chance to sit in the back with my buddies and not pay attention so I'm <laughs> sitting in the front and on the forefront of my mind and it had been for you know two or three weeks I was trying to decide what do I want to do what do I want to train myself in and I wanted something that had me not in one place every day that involved traveling and I will really like to tell stories and uh I had the image of a broadcaster, and Jim Nance was one of the first kind of guys that popped into my head while I was thinking about that. And I thought to myself, well, I'm really good at telling stories, and I'm, I really love and I know sports. Maybe I could go into broadcasting. So I, uh, I decided, well, if I do that, I'm going to have to transfer. And so, well, I guess I'm going to have to transfer. So I went back to my, my dorm room at that moment, and uh, I ended up looking up college programs that had good broadcasting programs. I found Valparaiso University uh, in Northwest Indiana on the recommendation of a friend and transferred there at the winter break and started getting into it in the, uh, in the, the first couple of months of 2009 after I transferred my sophomore year. And now here I am. Wow. So you just had a real epiphany moment. But uh, even as a as a kid, you grew up in the Chicago area, correct? Uh, in Chicago. I, I grew up in the city. Yeah. Oh, yes. That is an important that is an important distinction. Uh, city boy. Uh, <laughs> but without the Chicago ac accent, has um, has broadcasting school maybe trained that out of you a little bit? Not or do you find yourself slipping back into it when you go back home to visit? <laughs> I mean, I guess there's a little bit of it when I'm just kind of hanging out with my friends. You know, you kind of pronounce your T's and H's as D's. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, there's, I guess, a few other 
it, it kind of grows from the, the Midwest accent as well. But uh, I, I don't think I really ever had anything that was too hard. And, and, you know, the other thing is, is when you're on the air, you are trying to use your natural voice, but you're also trying to speak in a much more clear and 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 and, and, f and a fashion that you can just kind of digest a little bit more. So I'm not speaking as quickly. I'm obviously thinking much closer about my words. So, uh, you know, you do speak a little bit differently on the air, and you're very, very conscious of each word that you say because you're trying to put weight into each one. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do speak a little bit differently in that regard, but I don't think I ever really had too strong of a Chicago accent, although some people out here in California would probably disagree. <laughs> um as much as this seems like it's been an epiphany moment that you had sitting in class in your sophomore year, um, you've told me about being in your backyard and being inspired by listening to baseball games even as a as a kid. So this is this is something that has been within you for a while, right? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I, I was I was just a, a baseball junkie growing up. It was something I loved doing all day, every day. Uh, you know the. The, the story I, I can tell that kind of highlights it is, you know, growing up in Chicago, games start at 1.20 pretty much every day. So I, my mom would try to get me to do chores and things in the morning or, or in the <laughs> early afternoon, and, and I would say, well, but mom, the game is starting, and I want to sit down and I want to watch it. And she would say, well, you know, it doesn't really get exciting until the end. Why don't we just do our chores now, and then we can sit down and watch the end of the game. And well, I said, Mom, no, the, the reason that it's exciting at the end is because of what happens early in the game. <laughs> and you know, as a result, at 8, 9, 10 years old, I was sitting around and, and watching, watching Cubs games from start to finish for the full three hours and, and learning a ton. Uh, Steve Stone was the analyst then. He's now with the Chicago White Sox, and he's great. I mean, he's one of the best in the business that you may not know of, and he is absolutely phenomenal. And I learned a ton about the game from him at, at that point. And, you know, I also had Pat Hughes as the, the hometown broadcaster in Chicago growing up, too, and, and he's absolutely tremendous. So, you know, those were kind of the guys initially growing up that were the first baseball voices in my head. Do you feel like uh, you've taken maybe aspects of their style, or is there any, are there any other broadcasts that you really, broadcasters that you really like to model yourself after, or people you try to emulate? Yeah, I wouldn't say I try to model myself after anybody. You know, one of the one of the things that Vin Scully has said when people have asked him what kind of advice he'd give to younger broadcasters is the only unique thing you can bring into the booth is yourself. So I try not to model myself after anybody, but I do study. And I mean, I, I could probably give you a, a pretty thorough scouting report on every <laughs> major league broadcaster, both radio and TV. But uh, to your point, you know, I. I've taken things I like from everybody, and there's some things I like about guy styles, and there's some things I don't, but the things that don't change are the fundamentals. You know, I need you to tell me the pitch is coming. Mm -hmm. I need you to tell me the details. Give me the score. Give me the situation. Give me a recap of the game when you can. And that's where it starts. And then from there, you want to humanize guys and, and tell their stories more than stats, and then you do want to give the traditional stats. And on top of that, if I can give a more detailed statistic that maybe you don't know totally, well, now that's something I can use to highlight something I said. And that's where the, the value of the advanced statistics really come from, where I can just say an old cliche, oh, the guy's hitting the ball hard, but <laughs> it's just not falling. Well, we have numbers to that now. And those are the things that these guys are even tracking at the minor league level. So I can grab that one small number and I can use it in that regard and tell a, a bigger picture and a deeper picture uh, of, uh, of a guy's season or a guy's moment. So, you know, I try to take a lot from a lot of different guys. Uh, I used to I, I used to look at broadcasting when I first started as kind of Mad Libs, where I would listen to any <laughs> broadcaster, I'd just pick any random one, and I would pick out all the different adjectives they use to describe 
uh, you know, just a guy walking to the plate, the different verbs they use um, for, for a regular ground ball. I mean, you can just kind of insert all these different adjectives and verbs into the same thing because, yeah, you're going to get X amount of ground balls in a game, and you're going to get X amount of fly balls in a game, but each one is different. And how do you bring it to life rather than just saying he flew out to left field because I'm not trying to be game tracker. So stealing a lot of those adjectives and verbs these guys use helps to build the, the repertoire in your vocabulary, and that allows you to just be more accurate on the air to give you a better picture of what that fly ball looked like or that ground ball looked like. I think that's a great tip for young broadcasters or aspiring broadcasters is to create that seed catalog of different, you know, Mark Twain says difference between the almost right word and the right word is the difference between a lightning bug and lightning. So making sure you're always getting that lightning word. Yeah, I think that's a great, that's a great quote. I, I hadn't heard that one in a long time. I like that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, what your year looks like um, and what kind of minor league baseball, because as much as minor league baseball is a grind for the players, it's also a grind for the broadcasters. So what is your year like? Uh, yeah, let's see. I guess I would, uh, let's, uh, let's just start the calendar year. We'll start on January 1st. Uh, you know, January 1st for me is I'm still in basketball season. Uh, I also bartend on the side of doing uh, Michigan State women's basketball. So um, that's usually a really, a really nose down part of my, my year where, you know, I'll usually work about six days, six weeks without out a day off between the bar and the, um, and doing the radio show with the head coach and traveling with the women's basketball team. So then you run through that, you catch a little bit of a break when we get to the postseason because the schedule's more spaced out in March, but I'm also preparing the drive. Uh, which is packing everything up I have, getting it into my my minivan, and deciding how and when I'm going to make the move back out to California. So uh, once the team gets knocked out, and you know they make the NCAA tournament most years, so it does uh, it, the season does run pretty w late. That's when I make the drive out. This year I, I got um, I got out a week before first pitch, so I had about a week to do all the preparation of the guys, make sure all the commercials are cut and ready to go. Uh, and any other little things that need to get done. Plus, we had a lot of turnover in our front office this year, so just getting to know you know, my teammates in our front office. So get through that, and then we're on the road, and the season starts. And, you know, day one, day 50, day 100, and day 130 all look pretty similar. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. it's get up, knock out the game notes and the research, decide how you're going to eat, are you going to do what kind of chore are you going to do that day? Are you going to be able to get a workout in or just kind of a, a life thing that, that keeps keeps you afloat? And then get yourself to the ballpark, uh, ideally around 2 or 3 o'clock, and knock out any questions or, or help anybody else that, in the front office that you need to help out with. And, and then, you know, start talking to guys. And, you know, I usually have kind of an idea in my head about maybe some questions I want to get answered that day about maybe the the start last night or or a weird thing that happened to the game the other day or or just any kind of question that popped into my head I'll, I'll try to track down the guys and, and do that and then the best part about the day um, is just the random conversations you get into whether it's with the players or the coaches or, or a scout you know we have a lot of scouts here every day um, and that's across all minor league baseball so you, know, you just kind of walk around it and start getting into conversations and you have the topics on your head uh, uh, that you that are just kind of on the forefront of your brain and you get a lot of different input and thoughts from people and then yeah, fill out the line of carb, grab another bite to eat, and, and get ready to go and, and do the game. You know, so um, that's kind of the day. And then you, know, you get two or three hours after the game is over to, to hang out and, and just kind of relax and wake up and do it all over again. So it's it's a little like Groundhog Day, uh, mm. but each game is different. And, you know, it's it's long days and short weeks. The, the calendar kind of flips over quickly, although the days themselves are, are fairly long. 
Um, speaking of your minivan, it had a starring role in a little bit, uh, in a, a, a short piece that Corey Brock wrote about you when he went down to uh, visit Modesto as part of The Athletic. Um, for anyone who kind of has to travel long distances in their vehicles on a fairly regular basis, I think we do like get attached to our, our the vehicles that get us there in a way. So please introduce your vehicle to us. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a 2002 Chrysler Voyager, and uh, the nickname it has picked up is the Purple Palace. Uh, it's been nicknamed that because, to be frank, I, I stole it from one of my fraternity brothers in college who also had the same colored minivan when we were in college. Now, that thing's been retired, so uh, <laughs> this is a, a legacy name. Um, and it was actually, it used to be my, my grandparents. It's the Vlad Jr. of uh, Chrysler 2002 <laughs> minivans. Yeah, very much so. so this is the Palacito. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I've had it for a couple of years now. It doesn't have a ton of miles on it because it was my grandparents. They basically used it to get out of the suburbs into the city to see us mostly. So, uh, it's gotten me back and forth a number of times. Um, it gets, got, it's got ton of, a ton of space and I haven't any knock on wood, uh, breakdowns on the road at this point. And yeah, it takes me about 24 hours to, to pack it up and get everything into it. And then, uh, it usually takes me about three days, two sleeps, uh, to get across the country, which is something I usually do in, um, you know, around uh, late September, early October, after I generally make a trip up to Seattle and, and Shadow and, and get a chance to talk to a lot of the, the big league guys with Seattle and whoever else is in town. Usually get to see you out in center field, uh, typically in the former Maple Grove. And uh, and then basketball season starts like the first week of November, and from there you just go right back through it. So, yeah, the Purple Palace has got me back and forth. I think it's the last four years now because I used to have a, a Toyota Corolla, but now I've got a little more space and room to sleep in the back if I need it. And uh, room for more, a few more personal effects, I'm sure, that you can pack along with you. Although this is still a pretty nomadic life that you're living, right? You, uh, not exactly staying in one place for a long time. I'm sure you've seen a lot of different apartments in a lot of different places. Yeah, I mean, I, I basically, you know, I, I graduated May 15th, 2011. And uh, on June 1st, I was on the air for the Green Bay Bullfrogs doing the Northwoods League, uh, a team that eventually had Mitch Hanniger on it in center field, among some other current big leaguers as well. And uh, since then, I mean, I've really, I've been on the road. Um, every six months, it's been something different. I, I started my first winter after that, doing some stuff uh, with Valparaiso again uh, with their men's basketball and football team. Um, and then from there, I got the job with the Lansing Lugnuts, which was my first affiliated uh, work. And then after that, that's when I got the Michigan State job. And then I went to Kane County to do games in the Midwest League with the Kane County Cougars, who were a Cubs affiliate at the time, then back to Michigan. And then that was uh, the 2014 summer was the first year I was out in Modesto when this was a, a Rockies affiliate. And uh, it's been back and forth since. So yeah, I've never signed more than a six-month lease uh, since I graduated from college. And yeah, I mean, I, I've basically I've been on the road pretty much since I, I walked across the stage to get my diploma in 2011. Which is definitely useful for somebody who makes a living telling stories because uh, I'm sure you've got lots of them. Um, <laughs> you have seen some, I mean, you mentioned Mitch Hanniger. I know that that Rockies team, um, the former Modesto Nuts, had some current big leaguers on it. Who Who's really stood out to you over the various places you've been um You've seen so many players come through. Like, who whose talents have really just kind of leapt out at you? Yeah, I mean, in 2011, Mitch Hanniger really did jump out. I mean, he was clearly the best player on the field on that team and one of the best players 
in that league, and he was drafted in the first round the next year, and I was following his career after that because I, I knew how good he was. Um, so that was one of the first guys in uh, 2012. Uh, I had a ridiculous starting rotation for the Lansing Lugnuts. They're a Blue Jays affiliate. That was uh, Noah Syndergaard before the trade. Oh uh, Aaron Sanchez, who was a big-time prospect and is still fairly young but hasn't really caught on with a lot of success yet in the big leagues. And then there were two other guys in that rotation, Anthony Discofani, Justin Nicolino. They're both in the big leagues and kind of up and down now too. And uh, Kevin Pillar, the, the Giants now center fielder, was on that team as well. Um, so that, that those were the guys that stuck out that year. Wow. In 2013, I had Albert Almora, uh, who's now with the Cubs, and Dan Vogelback was on that team as well, still with the Cubs before the Mike Montgomery trade. And then uh, yeah, I had Trevor Story here in 2014. He was electric and uh, and dented our scoreboard in left center a couple of times with some big mm -hmm. home runs. Um, and then Ryan McMahon is up them with them now. Uh, David Dahl's another outfielder with the, the Rockies, who's a, a pretty talented player. Um, so, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of guys even before we got into the, uh, into the Mariners system in 2017. And you're getting a chance to see a few uh, pretty impressive guys right now. I don't think at the beginning of this season we anticipated that Modesto would be the prospect hotbed that it is. But honestly, it's uh, – I mean, Arkansas is the best team in the system numbers-wise. But I don't know that we have more of our top 100 prospects all clustered in one spot more than Modesto. Yeah, and yeah, I know that's something that the Mariners – do keep in the back of their mind more so than maybe some other organizations. Uh, they want to keep guys kind of together, and, and it allows them to, to build a little bit more of that teammate kind of feel and philosophy in the clubhouse because, you know, with some places when it's just of all a bunch of singular pieces, you can kind of feel that, but to kind of really try to keep guys together, maybe you push somebody up a little bit uh, sooner than maybe you thought or keep somebody down for an extra month or two, uh, you know, can make a difference when you're just trying to, to build that team philosophy. And one of the things Andy McKay said when he first took over, uh, or when the Mariners first uh, moved into Modesto was he thought that teaching guys how to win even down at the eight ball level was a part of their development and it's not like that uh everywhere and in every organization but uh you know it, it is right now obviously jared kelnick is the big name cal raleigh has been here since day one you know we just saw logan gilbert pitch uh, again for the first time in the second half he's been great but you know there's a lot of really good bullpen arms that you know we might hopefully see uh be some of the guys that helped to bolster that bullpen is as we move forward and yeah you know, joe rizzo's another guy that that was a second round pick that that guys I, I think people have really forgotten about but he's only 21 years old and he's hitting 300 he's already exceeded his his home run total from a year ago and and he's making some big improvements defensively so yeah there's a lot of guys uh, on this team that are very very interesting and although the team didn't win and, and they were down in the first half and and they got 13 games under 500 uh right out of the out of the break you know there's a, a lot of talent on this team up and down uh, up and down the roster well i definitely want to get into um some of the scouting reports of that team but first i want to go back to when the affiliate changed you mentioned andy mckay coming in and saying we prioritize winning uh the modesto nuts of 2017 were the cal league champions what are some of the changes that uh you noticed when the Mariners affiliate, when the Mariners took over the Nuts as an affiliate, yeah, there's, there's been a lot of them. Um, you know, they're they're very relaxed down here compared to the other organizations I've been in. Um, you know, just from 
the guys in batting practice, uh, you know, wearing T-shirts instead of the the everyday batting practice jerseys, and and just kind of just the relaxed nature in the clubhouse is a little bit different. Uh, the other big thing is the advanced stats. I mean, they've really run with that at this level. They've got so much that they can look to. There's a deep well of information. Everything, every place in the minor leagues now, and that's not just in Modesto, but every ballpark has you know, a track man. So you can get all the pitch data. They have the Rapsodo, the high-speed cameras down here. Uh, they've got a blast cap that they can put on the uh, the handle of the bat to get some swing information, which is interesting as well. And so they've got all this information. They've got a video coordinator that travels with them, which most teams do now. Uh, but just the way they try to package that information so that it doesn't look like you're looking at an equation that's trying to describe your swing. So it's, it's very bite-sized pieces. So that was one of the first things uh, I noticed, and that's continued to evolve. Mitch Canham was our manager here, so he was our, our manager here the first two years of the Mariners, and now we have Denny Hawking, and, and both guys are, are very similar. Now, one was a first-round pick, one was drafted after the 50th round. Mm. You know, one made the big leagues and one didn't. You know, Mitch did not make the big leagues after he was a first-round pick, and, and Denny Hawking has got a big league pension after spending 13 years up in the show, but they both have a very similar energy. They're both... They both come in very high energy every single day. They're locked in with the guys. They really try to build personal relationships with everybody, from a Jared Kelnick to you know a guy who's at the, the bottom of the roster and maybe is just kind of still hanging on. So they really work hard to get to know their guys, and I think that's stood out even more so uh, than I've seen in other organizations. And uh, the other thing about that is just, Watching the Rovers come into town, obviously with the, the new leadership from a couple of years ago, there's a lot of turnover in the Rovers and the minor league coaches, but the guys who are coming in, all these Rovers and the bigger picture guys are people who maybe don't have a long playing career background, but mm-hmm. you know, they, you know, Rob Marcello is a perfect example, our pitching coach now. He's a guy who you know, built his career on biomechanics and learning how to use a lot of these advanced tools and he's able to now take that and work with these guys every single day so just kind of seeing some of that and then the mental skills coaches are are another big one i saw a little bit of that with the rockies because andy mckay was there before he took the job with the mariners so i had known him a little bit before then so you know they've slowly built that out and it's been interesting talking to a lot of the mental skills coaches too as they come through um Rob Marcello is interesting. He's somebody who is new to the system, but seems to have already made a big um, impression. Just in the interview that you did with the bullpen guys, that was an excellent series of kind of talking to different, a few different guys out of the bullpen about their routine and and their lives, basically. Um, They all kind of invoked his name with, I guess I, I would call it maybe like, a little bit of fear, but also deep, deep respect and admiration. Yeah, I think that's that's probably right. Uh, so, you know, Rob's uh, in his late I believe 20s. one of them said, throw strikes or Rob won't like you. Which yeah. is- <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was Delaplane. I'm sure, pretty sure that was Sam Delaplane. Um, yeah, you know, that's that's about right. Um, Rob's really cool. He's uh, he's in his late 20s. Uh, he's got a, a real edge edge to him. Uh, in, and so he's not... He's not somebody who was in the big leagues for a long time. He's not somebody who even really played professionally for very long. He's not much older than the guys, so he's one of the younger coaches, so he's really able to connect with them, but he's still old enough that there's a very clear separation there. And You know, he's, he's locked in every day. He really, really cares about his guys. Uh, he really wants to win. 
He's very competitive, and I mean, he'll dish it with the guys uh, as much as anybody else will. So, you know, he's locked in. He, he brings a lot of energy every day. And the thing is, is he really knows how to use Rap Soto and all these other these other advanced tools to be able to shape guys' breaking balls and and how to adjust some of their biomechanics to get a little bit more uh, a little more velocity out of guys while still commanding their fastball so you know he's helped the guys and and although he doesn't have maybe the the resume cachet that a Denny Hawking has when he's there and he's telling guys to make a small tweak here a small tweak there and they see the difference that's what plays talent plays and when he gives guys advice and it pays off for them you know it, it works and and that's why he has so much credibility in the clubhouse even though he's in in just his first year here and yes he loves strikeouts absolutely loves him <laughs> i mean he talks about it all the time well hey at least we're, we're still first in the league in punchies or you know oh hey you know i know we lost but guys on the positive side we did strike out 10 <laughs> last night so let's keep our head up like that kind of thing so um yeah he's he's very very into that and they Sam Delaplane was very right in that in that moment that if you don't throw strikes and you don't strike guys out, Rob will not like you. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem like um, some of the more progressive baseball organizations are moving away from maybe a guy who had a long career but is maybe not as gifted a teacher. I feel like having a playing career used to count for a fair amount and as far as getting a job in minor league baseball and now the Mariners certainly seem to be prioritizing guys who are teachers um, and especially guys who are like maybe just a little ahead of where the guys are now like you were saying maybe in their late 20s early 30s so they're relatable to the guys but just like almost kind of an older brother vibe more so than um, you know a very very seasoned veteran um, who maybe isn't as in touch with what is happening in baseball right now. Yeah, I think there's some to that. I mean, what I've seen from the three coaching staffs I have here is it's been a mix. You know, you've had somebody with big league time, Joe Thurston, the hitting coach uh, for us the last couple of years, is a guy who had plenty of big league time. Obviously, Denny Hawking with his big league time. So you have that, and I think that is really important to have somebody who's with the team every day that when you know you want to ask somebody a question who's been there who's done that who's mm -hmm. been at the highest level you can have a first-hand account so I, I think there's real real value in that but it's not the only thing you need so there has been a mix you know Mitch played a long time in professional baseball without getting to the big leagues and so he's got a very unique perspective of the grind day in and day out and then his pitching coach last uh, last year the last two years and now up at double-a Pete Woodworth is another guy kind of like Rob, who didn't play a ton in pro ball, but really knows how to connect with the guys. He's a little bit younger, and he knows how to use the advanced stuff, the advanced tools, to make those small micro-improvements. Then, you know, we've got another guy, Jose Umbria, who played a long time in the minor leagues, but never made the big leagues, and he's got a lot of energy, and he's been coaching a long time, and you know, he was the Dave Henderson minor league uh, staff member of the year last season. So it is a collection, and, and I've seen a collection of guys uh, that's been kind of a, a formula. One guy with a lot of with some big league time, mm. you know, a guy who's younger, who really knows the advanced stuff, and then somebody else who's who's been very experienced in professional baseball and has been coaching for a long time. So, yeah, it's been kind of a mix, and, and it's been nice, and they all bring something different to the table for the guys. Now that you say that, that does seem like a formula that I've seen across a few of the affiliates where you have somebody who has some minor league time, somebody who has some major league time, and then maybe a guy who comes more from the analytics or pitch development side. Um, 
And you see that with Brian DeLunis, too, honestly, who's the pitching coordinator, um, who they now ship people off to instead of having him rove around. Um, I know that a few of the Nuts players have done that, have been you know sent up to Seattle to spend some time with DeLunis and with his pitch design. Also a really cool opportunity for them to like see a little bit of Seattle, to step on a major league field, right? Get that exposure. Yeah, it, 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 I think it's refreshing for the guys sometimes to just step out of the clubhouse for a, a day here or a day there. And, uh, you know, Joey Gerber and Logan Gilbert had gone up uh, together. They were the most recent guys to go do that. And uh, talking to Joey about it, he was really excited about it, you know, just just one of those things where it's, man, I can't wait to get some of this information and, and see uh, see how it how I can use it to help me. So, yeah, those kind of things are helpful. And it's not just about finding a way to, to go out and grind through an at-bat at this level, although they they do do that. But these are the moments to make those little changes because, you know, we watch big league guys and we can say that guy's got a track record. This is who he is. But at this level, I mean, sure, maybe you see for a year or two he's had command issues, but then all of a sudden things can change really, really quickly here, especially at this level in eight ball where guys are still very malleable. They're still figuring it out. They're still trying to break maybe some of the college habits. So this is the time to do it. And guys can make really drastic changes. And for some, and I've seen it happen many times where all of a sudden it's one minor switch and everything is different and they're a totally different player. And then they move really, really quickly. So it's a cool opportunity and a very unique way to try to get these guys developed to win games at the big league level. Well, speaking of a guy who has made a few changes, who you've had an opportunity now to see two years in a row, let's talk a little bit about um, LJ Newsom's year. Yeah, so yeah, he was here all of uh, last season. You know, made one spot spot up at AAA last year. He did the same thing this year and struck out ten. Um, yeah, the big thing is the gas camp. That was part of the high performance camp. Uh, talking to Carson Vitale, the the field coordinator, uh, it was something that they started to figure out and put together in their minds last July, and then they got it set up uh, for right after the season and in the early fall. And it was a, an opportunity for the guys to work out a ton. They didn't touch a baseball for a long time. They worked with the weighted balls, which was a, a thing that, that actually Matt Festa used to help turn him into now kind of a 4A player at this point. Uh, we had him down here, and he was tremendous a couple of years ago. Uh, so that weighted ball workout does a lot for you. A, it strengthens your shoulder, and B, it gets you a more efficient arm path. And that's one of the big things that's helped add velocity to guys when you're just being more efficient with the way your your arm is, is moving and the way the ball comes out of your hand. Because when you use those weighted balls, if you don't use your most efficient arm path, you can feel a little pain in your shoulder. So it's kind of like a guardrail that helps out. And, yeah, LJ does look different. I mean, he looks stronger. He looks bigger this season. So that was a big part of it. That's part of the reason he's been so good. And the reason his fastball is so impressive, which has been nicknamed the GOAT ball by the way that was a uh, reggie mcclain i'm sorry came the, up with that the goat ball yeah like greatest of all time mm, type fastball okay. so that was that was reggie mcclain uh and they call lj's fastball the goat ball because of the and it's because of the spin rate i mean it it stays up and that's why mm -hmm. he's getting so many strikeouts on the swing and swings and misses on high fastballs that's where the spin rate comes in but the faster it spins, the less it's going to drop from hand to catcher's glove. And for guys, that gives the illusion of it rising on them, which obviously physically it can't, but that's the illusion that it creates. And that's why he's had so much, so many swings and misses. So, um, yeah, that's, that's where he's really developed, and that's the biggest difference. He's had more velocity on the fastball going from high 80s to low 90s. 
The spin rate is really impressive, and the ball just doesn't drop. It just stays up the whole time, and it's been really, really deceptive, and, and it's been a really a lot of fun to watch. He, he says he hasn't really changed anything else outside of just going through that strength training program. Huh. Uh, I don't know if you saw his start, his spot start in AAA the other day, but it was honestly hilarious um, to watch the Padres batter. Because, you know, especially I think a lot of those guys are used to facing some AA level or AAA guys who throw in the mid-90s. And here's LJ just wrecking them on 91-93. Uh, there were so many ugly swings, so many frustrated batters who just, they could not pick his ball up. I, I was laughing a lot. <laughs> and that's why that's why Reggie McLean called it the goat ball. The goat ball, yeah. And Speaking of Reggie, a... <laughs> yeah. uh, Reggie's having some success up in AAA himself after kind of being mired in Tacoma for or in uh, Modesto for a long time. Yeah, another guy, uh, you know, I got to know really, really well, who joked about getting his number retired in Modesto <laughs> this year. Um, now, Reggie's really cool. You know, he went through a lot in his college career to finally get himself drafted. Uh, you know, that's a really long story. But he's another guy who went to the, the gas camp, added some more strength, added some more velocity. And the big thing for him, beyond actually adding the physical strength, was intent, throwing the ball as hard as he can, you know, has added the velocity. So... With the strength, that adds a couple extra miles an hour. With knowing he doesn't have to face a lineup a second and third time, that's added some more velocity. And then just having that intent, throwing as hard as he can, trying to give it his, his all. Not that he was he was being lazy in any regard. It was just you're holding some back as a starter because you know right. you need to pitch that, that 67th, 80th, 90th pitch. So with that off his, ta- off his plate, that's where a lot of the extra velocity has come from. And he's a little bit older after a long college career. So you know it was nice to see him move really quickly because, he was a completely different pitcher. Didn't look anything the same on the mound as soon as he got onto the hill in Lancaster to open this season. So I'm really excited for him. I'm glad he's moved as quickly as he's ha- he has. And, uh, yeah, that when he's throwing 94 and with the way his curveball breaks, because the other thing, too, with the added velocity is talking to our catchers, one of the things they see in the breaking stuff when guys have added velocity, it does make it a little bit tighter, and, and, and so that has helped, and he's got a little bit more of a nastier break on his curveball now as well with the added velocity. Let's stick with the pitching, and uh, we got to talk about Logan Gilbert a little. He just had a start last night, looked pretty impressive against a pretty prospect-heavy Giants team. Um what have you seen from Gilbert since he got moved up back in early June? Yeah, so the first thing is his his fastball velocity is slowly building. And remember, he was down and out for months after the draft last year, after his battle with Mono. So, you know, you can see the velocity starting to build up uh, a little bit as the season goes on. They changed the shape of his changeup coming into this year, so they really like where that is now, and it flashes plus. I mean, it's got a little sink to it. It looks exactly like his fastball. The only thing that's different is it spins a little few, a few uh, fewer times than it, the fastball does, and that gets that ball to sink a little bit even more. Um, it really tunnels well with his fastball. So the changeup is a really emerging tool for Gilbert. Uh, you know, the curveball has been something we've seen him use uh, to get strikes a lot, especially the second time through the order, and the slide-out's wipeout. Uh, the slider's a wipeout slider. I mean, it's it's really, really impressive. That is a fully formed pitch right now. So we're talking about four really, really good pitches, and at this point, it's 
going through his work every every day. He's very, very diligent with his work. I mean, he's the kind of guy that you have to know exactly when you can go like grab him for a conversation mm. because he is very methodical in what he's doing every day in terms of, okay, you know, every, every day for a starter, you get those four days in between. And every day is a different focus to get you ready for your next start, whether it's, you know, something physical here or the bullpen there. So, you know, he's really, really methodical in his work day in and day out. Uh, yeah, he's kind of a quiet guy, but he's on the surface, but he is really, really competitive. I mean, he's a total bulldog. Uh, he's very, very uh, energized to, to compete and win day in and day out. And uh, yeah, he is he is a little goofy. It, just listening to him and kind of Cal talk and, and goof <laughs> off with each other, it's one of those things where like, it, you may not hear it because it's so quiet, just literally quiet, but if you sit there for a second, you hear a lot of sarcasm <laughs> between those days. And yeah, they're really just embracing the moment of their career right now, where they are. They see the big picture. They're both in their first year as pros. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been fun to kind of watch those two guys work together uh, as, as they try to figure out how to battle an opponent day in and day out, uh, you know, week in and week out. And this Giants team is particularly prospect-laden. And you can see Gilbert rise a little bit when he's facing one of the big prospects. He knows who Joey Bart is. He knows who Elliot Ramos is, the last two first-round picks for the Giants. And you do see a little extra zip there. You see a little extra oomph on the fastball when it's late in the game and it's a big spot and there's a couple of runners on. So you do see him kind of flick that switch a little bit. And you know, I imagine as the lights get brighter and the stadiums get bigger, I think he's somebody who's going to stand even taller in those big moments. I feel like I saw that in his last outing against Stockton, too, which is another... Maybe not like quite the luminosity of like a Joey Bart, but uh, a lot of really pretty good prospects in that Stockton lineup. Um, yeah, they've got a, a lot of guys who've just been drafted over the last year or two. Really, you know, Modesto, Stockton, the A's affiliate, and the Giants, the Giants affiliate, um, are all very prospect laden. Uh, and it, w- it was almost a little strange to watch. Visalia run away the, the Diamondbacks affiliate the way they did. They had a big 14-game winning streak in the middle of the first half, but they don't have a lot of guys on that team that really project as being even, you know, four A players, the kind of guys that shuttle up and down. There's, there's just not a lot of future big league talent on that team, but but they win, and they're very feisty at the plate. They battle and, and fight off a lot of those those tough pitches. So, you know, that's been a, a real test for, uh, for Logan when he's faced them. And, and really, no matter who he's facing, I really, I just haven't seen an outing this year where guys have hit the ball hard against him consistently, where you just said, mm-hmm. oh, he doesn't have it today. You know, even when he's given up three runs in a start, which, by the way, is his career high. So we need to just kind of remind ourselves <laughs> yeah, how good where the bar right. is for him. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. obviously, we're looking very closely at this stuff. But overall, he's been so, so consistent. So, you know, some of the, the starts that have been a little bit below his best starts, let's say, even those, a lot of times it's, you know, you've seen some soft base hits, find a hole, and then a big hit happens here, a big hit happens there. But none of his starts have had more than two, three, or four really hard hit balls, even the outs. So that part has been really impressive in the fact that he has missed the barrel of the bat night in and night out. Yeah, you really don't think – you don't hear about Logan Gilbert getting lit up. Um, I think, too, it's been interesting to watch him just – he really is in the right place. He was – just mowing guys over at uh, a ball and it's been exciting to watch him really have that bulldog mentality come out and uh the relationship between him and cal is is something special too i think where each of them are wanting to be the best and because they're a battery together that 
pushing each other. What have you seen from Cal, who got a pretty aggressive assignment to start the year? Um, maybe I mean, similar to the track Evan White was on last year, right? Where you have he just skipped over a low A ball. Um, but Raleigh came with the scouting report that he was a bat first catcher. I personally have been uh, impressed by him behind the dish. What have you seen? Uh, I have been too, and uh, scouts have been as well. So is the coaching staff. So are the pitchers. So, you know, Cal Raleigh has a chance to be a longtime big leaguer and a guy who, you know, you can really fall in love in for a long time at, at the big league level when he gets there. Uh, but behind the plate, you know, he's working hard to learn how to put together these scouting reports. Uh, we saw that from day one, and he's continuing to do it. You know, the, the first day or two, he came up to me. He was like, oh, hey, uh, you bring down the, the starting lineups, right? I was like, yeah. He was like, yeah, if you don't mind, well, can I get one just so I can start the scouting report right when I, when I get it? I was like, of course. So, you know, that's just one of those little things where he's, like, ready to go. Mm-hmm. So you see that in the in the preparation day in and day out. Behind the plate, his arm has been tremendous. He's got he's, – nobody in the California League has caught more opposing base runners than he has it's very strong his pop time is great i don't know the number but just watching it uh live day in and day out it's been really good and, and really the only times i see guys really steal off off uh, or get a stolen base when he's behind the plate is when a he drops it on a transfer or if it's a tough ball to throw on or b they get a really big jump so yeah, he's been very consistent in that regard he moves really well laterally which i know some scouts have have uh, brought up as a question mark since he's such a big guy right now. Is he going to be able to maintain that mobility? But and I, I've seen him move really, really well and not just get in front of balls, but really smother them. So those balls are just not getting by him uh, very often. And uh, talking to Sam Tuivalalo when he was down here, a guy who worked with Yadier Molina when he was with the Cardinals, I asked him off the air, yeah, how is it with Cal? And he had glowing reports just the way, about the way he receives the ball, the way he worked with him, and his ability to just ask questions and listen to a guy like Tui Valala who's been in the big leagues, even though he's not a, a longtime big leaguer yet. You know, that's somebody that you can ask questions of. So just defensively, first and foremost, he's been really, really good, and he has a chance to be great as he continue to moves, continues to move up the system because that's the kind of thing that – Catching is hard, man. I mean, it's oh. really, really hard. And he's already here in his first pro season. So uh, I can only imagine that with another year or two with his work ethic that you're going to see growth no matter what. Yeah, I think he was pretty misscouted the more that I've been do. I did a series of articles looking at him on both sides of the ball um, these past couple weeks around the All-Star breaks. Of course, he was an All-Star uh, and in the Home Run Derby. And uh, it just, it seems like the defensive questions that surrounded him were, are really, I think, overblown and maybe just based on looking at him size-wise. I, I think the Mariners got a steal on him in the third round. Oh, no doubt. And and even just his framing, I'm, one, of the, one of the days I, just I picked a random day, I walked over to Cal in the clubhouse, I said, hey, can I ask you some questions about catching? And he said, yeah, of course. So we, we got into it. And just listening to him describe how detailed he is of the way he attacks a pitch to, to frame it and catch it. Uh, you know, he was able to talk about the way he manages an umpire's ego. You know, umpires are all different. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a thing. That's a relationship you have as a catcher with the umpire. When you're going to frame a ball, when you're going to question a pitch, when you're not. Uh, and then asking him about how he gets prepared to throw somebody out. And the detail he brought up about guys who take their lead and what he's looking for. One of the things that really stood out in that moment was, you know, sometimes they'll get the sign from the third base coach and they'll immediately look at second base. And now I'm ready. So possibly a steal in the third round on Cal, 
very exciting battery of the future with Cal and Logan Gilbert. Um, love the way that those two work together and are each just so dedicated to their craft. Uh, but we have to talk about, and the person I got the most questions about, uh, we got to talk about Jared Kelnick. Yeah, uh, 19 years old. So he came in as the sixth youngest player in the California League when he got promoted. And uh, in the average age of this league is 23. Prospects are usually coming through mm -hmm. here at 21 or 22. So very, very young. And, uh, yeah, he looks legit. I mean, he looks better than advertised, to be completely honest. He's got great speed. He's been tremendous in the outfield. The catch he made in Visalia, that first series out of the second, uh, out of the All-Star break, was just absolutely absurd he covered so much ground he was so proud of the catches he should have been and not just because he did it but because of when he did it in mm. the moment and in the context of the team because if he doesn't make that catch that ball game that night is over and the runner who's on at first would have scored no question about it so you know it was the the context of it that he was really really proud of how far he had to go you know i asked him where he was playing he said he was playing very shallow in particular on that uh, on that play so you know, that was exciting the arm has been good we, we've seen that from him albeit not entirely uh, inconsistent in terms of its accuracy the strength is there and you figure the accuracy will come he showed he's shown a great ability to take uh, take his walks going back to the visalia series to start the second half he took a walk ahead of the cal raleigh grand slam that won the final game of that series and yeah that was a game where he, he hadn't hit a ball hard yet all day, and he had struck out, and you can see his frustration starting to bubble over, which it does pretty much any time you know, he gets out. He's, he's a little frustrated, and you can see it in his body language. Uh, but, yeah, that's a time where a lot of young players will overcompensate and maybe be a little overaggressive, but he was not in that scenario. He takes the walk, gets an RBI, Cal hits the grand slam, and the Nuts win that game. So that's been impressive. And then... I've seen the power from him, a couple of home runs already in his first week. Uh, that all Those home runs were just mammoth shots, and we've seen the hard outs, the hard line drives to the outfielders, the hard line drives over the head of the middle infielders. Now, I, I've seen everything from him uh, at this point on the field, and he has a legit shot to be a true five-tool player in the future. I think the question that most scouts have about him is the power, and even looking at the California League, people, oh, it's the Cal League, of course. Like, my grandma could hit a home run. Uh, that's a little bit of a misunderstanding given Modesto's home ballpark, right? And and not every ballpark in the Cal League is Lancaster, which is admittedly a, a launching pad, but... Yeah, Lancaster's a total launching pad, uh, and, and they're they're more in the South Division than in the North Division. Modesto is 100% a pitcher's ballpark, and it's actually a good tool for the guys because it's the fact that the ball dies there, and that means you have to hit line drive. So you really don't have any cheap home runs unless you put it right down the line. So that kind of helps teach guys to make sure they're hitting line drives and not just try to launch it out uh, over the wall. So it's, it's a good teaching uh, experience there. The San Jose Giants ballpark is more pitcher-friendly than it is hitter-friendly. And then the Stockton Ports ballpark, the A's affiliate, that place that place is a launching pad. That one you can get out a ton, and it's very, very small, and the wind is usually blowing out. So, you know, there are some of those here. But, you know, the thing about that is we can we can try to knock guys home, home runs. Well, if you're going to do that, then you need to really pump up the fact that uh, Logan Gilbert has had an ERA around two and a half here. So, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you can see it. You know what's a legit home run. You know what's not. So it, you, it doesn't, there's nothing that's going to sneak by you in terms of the eye test. You know when something was legit and when something was a part of the environment. So in that regard, it's very, very obvious. And again, you, you said it already, Modesto is a pitcher's ballpark. So any home run that Jared hits in in Modesto, it is a legitimate home run, especially for a left-handed hitter because the ball really, really dies out in right center over there. 
I have a question here from uh, Rex Rome at Rex underscore Rome, um, who's asking, well, his original question is, is Jared Kelnick my savior? And I don't know if either of us are equipped to, uh, to answer that. Um, but he does say, in all seriousness, could he finish the year in AA? How is his approach at the plate specifically? Are his Ks from swing and miss or from seeing more pitches? Which I think is an interesting an interesting question. I have my ideas about it, but I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, first of all, Jared Kelnick is not your savior. And if you're looking for a savior, I would not try to pick uh, an athlete to be that for you. <laughs> the second part of that question, uh, you know, I would be shocked if he gets to double A uh, by the end of the year. He's already had a, an aggressive promotion this season. I mean, it would take an absolutely absurd month to get him up to double a so i would be totally totally shocked and impressed if he found a way to get up there uh the swing and the the strikeouts uh i feel like i've seen those you know, just as i'm trying to think about it and, and run through the mental rolodex here i feel like it's been more uh swing and miss you know i, I have seen him get fooled on some breaking balls but you got to remember he's seeing more advanced breaking balls than he ever has in his entire life so uh you know i have seen him swing and miss on some breaking balls here and there but he doesn't miss his mistakes and his approach to the plate has been tremendous because even if he got fooled on a breaking ball it's a situation where he thought that was his pitch i don't see him chasing you know bad pitches non-competitive pitches it's more you know the the pitcher executing than him making a mistake at the plate so i've been very impressed with his approach to the plate and the final part on that is jose umbria our, our hitting coach here when i talked to him about jared one of the things he was most impressed with is how committed jared is to his approach at the plate and his approach in his work and in the cage i mean it just doesn't waver from day to day and, and that is is something that really stands out for anybody at this level but particularly at his age yeah, that's one of the things that's really stuck, struck me about him is just how his swing, it's amazing to look at swings he had in high school to his like pro earliest pro days to Modesto, West Virginia, even spring training. The swing always looks the same. Uh, it's just extremely practiced. And I agree with you. The swing and miss that I've seen has been from getting fooled on breaking balls because and general not always the top prospect guys but maybe guys who are a little older a little craftier have been pitching a little longer than he has been in pro ball so uh, i i think that the sky is the limit for kelnick and people getting excited about him should be excited about him maybe not to the level of uh calling him your savior but <laughs> i think for for sure in a year where the major league team is is having a step back and is uh is generally kind of being disappointing definitely looking down at what's happening on the farm is is exciting um and there's still a good shot we'll see Kelnick in the um Arizona Fall League right that's yeah i think that's that's, that's probably a pretty good a pretty good bet especially as an outfielder it's not like you and at his age you don't really need him to to shut it down for too long so yeah i i, I would imagine that's probably going to happen um we just got some news that one of your bullpen members has been promoted, uh, Joey Gerber, making his way up to double A. Um, I, I'm a little surprised by it, I think, just because I think I feel like I've seen some command issues. Um, but what what do you think caused this promotion for Joey Gerber? I mean, his stuff is really, really nasty. And, and I, that, that's first and foremost. And, you know, yeah, there, there are some command issues there. He's still trying to harness his big stuff. It's a, a high effort delivery. Uh, but the stuff is good and the stuff plays. So, you know, uh, I think 
for a, a bullpen arm, a guy who was drafted out of a, a high-level college program, uh, you know, out of the Big Ten at, at the University of Illinois. Those are the kind of guys you are very inclined to, to move very quickly because you want to get them up as quickly as you can because usually mm -hmm. they can. They only need to get, you know, three, four, five outs at a time. So, uh, you know, I think it's just the stuff that's going to get him up there. There's still some refining to do in terms of his command. Uh, at times, some of the walks have been a little bit high. And, and the other part about it, too, is at the – the lower levels, especially last year, you know, he got a lot of strikeouts. The numbers were tremendous, but that was more him relying on his stuff. And he can still, his stuff is so good, he can still do that here where he's going to get outs even if he's not totally commanding it. So uh, I, this is probably a situation where you get him up against more advanced hitters, and I wouldn't be surprised if he does struggle for a while, and that's probably a good thing because that's really going to make him hone in on his command and, and harness that big stuff because, uh, you know, here his his stuff still would, would kind of blow guys away. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for him. I know he's really, really excited. And, uh, you know, watching the way Sam Dallaplane has succeeded up there, uh, I have no doubt he's going to have some success as well. My goodness. I mean, Sam Dallaplane, I think it's, it's not totally out of the question that he could – take a jump straight from double a to the big club in the very late months i don't know if they'd want to start his service time clock or anything like that but he's just he's proving that um what he did in high a is no fluke um i, I was like there's no way he's going to be able to replicate a 50 percent strikeout rate that's just you know ridiculous but he has gone up to double A and basically done even better in a, a few short outings. So very exciting one to watch. Uh, the bullpen overall is kind of a fun group of guys. Who who are some people who really stand out to you out there or the composition of it that makes it intriguing? Yeah, uh, Scott Boches and Colin Cobert, personality-wise, are, are two of the loudest guys uh, in the clubhouse. <laughs> They're the ones who really drive the, the Motley Crew kind of personality that they have, and J.T. Salter too is 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 hilarious. I mean, those guys just purely outside of baseball are really really funny and have a lot of fun, and they're they're really a, a tight knit group. Yeah, Kyle Wilcox on the field is a guy who's got a chance to be really really good. Uh, his slider is totally nasty. He's just trying to command his fastball a little bit more. So if he figures out the command of that fastball, then he's another guy that, that can have a really high strikeout rate. Um, obviously, Joey Gerber just promoted today. Uh, Ray Kerr is an interesting guy who's been kind of in and out. You know, he touched 98 in his last uh, last start filling in for LJ. So if he can kind of settle the command down, his his breaking ball, which he calls a curveball, uh, can be pretty good. So you know, he's the kind of guy that if he figures something out, uh, things could move quickly. Cobra's a sidearm guy who, who's had a lot of success. And, you know, you're always questioning those sidearm guys a little bit. But Jack Anderson is having success at AA, who's another guy who's really more of a submariner. Um, and so, you know, Cobra's stuff has been pretty nasty, and he's been very consistent and just put together uh, an outing last time out where he you know, he went three innings and got the whole lineup out. So that's always impressive when they can do that. But, uh, yeah, Kyle, Kyle Wilcox is one of the guys right now that, that's really st stood out. Speaking of their personalities, uh, that was on full display in their dress-up day post the other day, which I'll include a link to. Um, some truly fantastic – did you have a chance to look at that and see some of the truly fantastic ensembles that were put together? I did. That was uh, – that. Danny likes to do that once or twice a year. Uh, it's a goodwill day where you just – 
guys go to Goodwill and get the ugliest things you can find. So, yeah, just one of those things that keeps things light, keeps things fresh. And, you know, if, uh, if this turns into a winning streak, then uh, we will definitely be pointing to that as part of the reason why. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was truly – I was a little mad at Colin Cover, who I think actually looks good. Uh, his outfit kind of works, which is not the point of things. I yeah, think. it's hard for him to look bad, I think. Yeah, it's annoying. <laughs> um, well, let me see if I have any... Okay, I have one uh, question from an uh, from a, a faithful listener that I will ask you, and then I'll let you get on your way. Um, Andrew wants to know how many puns you are guilty of when calling games for the nuts, or if that's frowned upon for broadcasters. He says, I do not need to know which ones, although I assume there's a Modesto few. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I really, I don't put too many of them in there. I am particular with the way I will use the term, you know, use the team name uh, <laughs> so as not to have anybody who's listening could say, to start giggling uncontrollably. That, that I do try to, to avoid. So, yeah, I, I, honestly, I, I try to avoid them as much as possible because, well, if you want puns, you guys are all great at them. You can come up with them. And if you want to share some over text or Twitter, fine, but uh, I, I'm going to mostly keep those out of the broadcast because, you know, there's a professional game going on and you guys are interested in, in how the at-bat is going, not what kind of pun I can come up with. So, yeah, I usually keep those out of it. <laughs> uh, not that your broadcasts are without a little bit of dry humor, though. Uh, Cal League fans are, I think, I mean, I'm generalizing, but from what I, I, I watch a lot of minor league baseball in a lot of different places, um, I feel like Cal League fans are especially passionate uh which might come from being especially lubricated by delicious california beers who knows um but always there's some fun commentary on the happenings at the ballpark um the the fans who sometimes make unwitting guest appearances <laughs> on the broadcasts yeah, I mean, I think we're a little colored right now just since we, because we just spent so much time in Visalia, which is a unique place, to be sure. Uh, yes. I've, I've been to a few of their local watering holes, and it's just as uh, unique away from the ballpark as it is <laughs> in the ballpark. Uh, you know, and, and part of it, to be honest, is just uh, the proximity to the fans in, in a lot of these uh, broadcast positions, so you can really hear it. And if you can hear it on the broadcast, then I'm probably going to comment on it because it's now a part of the game. And, uh, yeah, that, the one super fan who, who is quite loud and quite lubricated, as you said, uh, she even was fairly self-aware at one point. I even remember her at one point saying uh, uh, that, you know, man, I can't believe they haven't kicked me out yet. And Well, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> You're not the only one. <laughs> so, yeah, a, you got to have some fans bunch. in the seats. If you kicked out <laughs> everyone who was talking, it would... Uh, a very empty ballpark very quickly yeah so yeah they're i mean i guess they're a unique bunch and honestly you know just a lot of these a lot of these ballparks out here are, are older and we're very very close to the fans so you know if you can pick up the crack of the bat then you're also going to pick up a few conversations between that as well uh i also got one question about how many children the nuts mascot has eaten this year because we have a running joke about Wally wanting to eat the children of the stands. He's a scary mascot. I'm sorry. It's, it's, he's he's a little bit terrifying. Um, which of the three mascots is your personal favorite? Since I know you you love them all. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I could. I mean, that would be like trying to pick your your favorite child. They're all <laughs> so a little we bit have different. we have Wally the walnut. Yes. 
uh, Al, Al, Al the Almond, Almond and Shelly the Pistachio. Yeah, so Shelly is the youngest. Uh, she's the most recent addition. Uh, she was the one who actually helped get the other guys uh, a makeover, so I've seen them through uh, two different outfits uh, at this point in their career, and the, the new ones are, are, are better. It does feel a little <laughs> bit like Al doesn't have shoulders, but when you're built <laughs> like an almond, that's what an almond looks like. And, uh, you know, uh, if you if you feel a little intimidated by Wally, uh, as soon as you have a chance to, to, to hang out with him a little bit and, and talk at him, because I guess you can never really talk with a mascot, uh, you'll, you'll find that he is not as intimidating on camera as he is in real life. And, and Shelly is just the, the sweetest mascot there is. Uh, she's she's a, a great uh, beacon for women in baseball, I think. And nice that we have a female mascot i don't know how many other female mascots you have around uh, around minor league baseball but it's always good to have her and i, I know a lot of the, the the young girls who who are big uh, modesto nuts fans have have fallen in love with her and, and for good reason shelly needs a hat i, I appreciate I your uh your you're pushing the the shelly needs a hat yeah, this, this year was about the Alabrijes. That's the biggest new addition with the Copa de la Diversión. So that's the which big is one. great, by the yes. way. That's a great mascot. And very unique and and uh, particularly tailored to the to the environment and to Modesto and to the Pacific Northwest. So I agree. Uh, the Latin players love uh, an opportunity to wear that. They do a great job in our ballpark. You know, we have a our public dress announcer uh, is of Mexican descent. Uh, we've got some Latin. Uh, influence in our front office as well. So they've all been able to do a, a really, really good job of, uh, of bringing that to life in a, in a very positive manner. And people are really, really excited about it. So hopefully maybe uh, maybe next year, ne- maybe next year will be the year we get that, that Shelly cap. It has been great to see the, uh, the Latin flavor kind of come through a little more strongly this year than I remember it being last year, part- partially because of the Allegri Hayes, but just a huge outreach on the part of the nuts to um, pay service to that part of the community, integrate them, uh, having the players' names pronounced as they would be in their native language over the PAA system is great. Um, just just some really, really – Modesto is a great place to be. <laughs> I agree, and that's why I've been out here for six years. <laughs> well, we do have a, a local-ish reporter named our Nick Stillman – uh, who's actually terrified of the mascot. So I've given him assignment. He has to go down and spend some time and take a picture with each one of the mascots. So we'll be looking for that next time. I think that's a good call. Look, a lot of a lot of children have been scared initially when they've met a lot of mascots, not mm-hmm. just the Modesto Nuts mascots. Oh, yeah. But, you know, hearts melt quickly when you have a chance to interact with them. When you look into those big plastic eyes, it's just... It takes know, you have, to a whole have, new place. <laughs> Uh, Keaton, tell us how people can um, tune in. What is the best way for people to tune into Modesto Nuts games to follow this incredibly exciting Modesto team? Yeah, at home we're on MILB TV pretty much every night. It's new, so we've had a few hiccups, uh, and you know uh, we're, we're still improving as the season goes on. But that's a great way to be able to see them, and that has the radio broadcast uh, overlaid over it. Uh, and you know, there's no communication between myself and, and whoever's doing the directing, so it is kind of like two separate <laughs> entities when you're watching it. Uh, although they do their best, uh, but. Uh, other than that, obviously, the TuneIn Radio app is really, really easy. Uh, that gets you there. You can go to ModestoNuts.com. That's got the, the link to the broadcast right on the top where, where you can click in through game day. You're just looking at the, the minor league scoreboard page. There, there's a, a link there with the little headphones you can click on. Uh, I tweet out on the Modesto Nuts account the link for, through Stream Guys, which is another easy way to listen to as well. Uh, so. Yeah, any any of that is a great way to listen, and uh, and you know you can follow me on Twitter at 
Gillogly, which is G-I-L-L-O-G-L-Y. That's where I keep a lot of the Modesto Nuts updates, and that's uh, primarily baseball-focused. You're not really going to get my opinion on, on a random big event or something that I'm not covering. I'm usually only going to be tweeting about things I'm covering, so uh, I usually keep it to that. And if you uh, tweet at me or at the Modesto Nuts, uh, I can see both. If you tell me that you're listening, I will give a shout-out. I, I have a pretty good success rate on that. You do, and I have to say, as somebody who thought that they didn't really care about it, every time you do say hello to me, I, I feel a little a little happy and a little special. So I can only imagine the thrill it would be if you were kind of a young kid trying to get a kid into baseball. All right, well, Keaton, thank you so much for making the time, and uh, make sure that you all go check out Keaton's Twitter play- page where he'll keep you up to date on all the latest Modesto Nuts happenings. And uh, follow the team because they are, they are sure fun. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun, and uh, thanks for having me on, and thanks for all the hard work you guys do at Lookout Landing. It's a lot of fun to just have a, a minor league focused area, and obviously in addition to the big league stuff you do, but it's been a lot of fun to uh, to follow that, and it helps me too because well, there's not many other places I'm going to be able to go for for minor league coverage because there's really no beat writers anymore. We do not have a no, beat writer covering it's... us or at a lot of the other lower levels. Yeah, it, that part is tough, which is sad, too, especially because there's so much exciting talent in the California League right now. So you really have to be looking to the individual team SB Nation sites. Baseball Prospectus does a great job of getting people out to scout. But, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a lost art. Yeah, and that's part of the reason, you know, myself and some of the other broadcasters have tried to do a little bit more on Twitter because there is nobody else covering the team. So it's just kind of a, a way for us to be able to make sure we're putting everything out uh, that we're getting from day to day. So make sure to do your part. Follow Keaton for the latest California League updates you are not going to get anywhere else. And uh, Keaton, thanks again so much for the time. You bet. Have a great day, Kate. Where we swim